Hello, ACAC church family and friends. Before we begin to study God's Word today, I just want to say I really miss you. I look forward to the day that we will be able to assemble together once again in person. Today we're continuing our study of the book of Genesis, and my assignment this weekend is Genesis 16. And I want to say at the very outset that there is so much truth packed in the story contained in Genesis 16 that I could easily preach five relevant sermons from that chapter. But obviously, time doesn't permit that. So we're only going to look at approximately 35 words near the beginning of that chapter. And with that, let's get started on our journey. The Bible is God's trustworthy record of two ongoing conflicts, and thankfully, his redemptive response to both of them. A redemptive response that ensures they will not continue indefinitely. One day, both conflicts will come to an end, but we haven't arrived at that day yet. Now, the conflicts I'm referring to are, first, the conflict between Satan and God, the forces of spiritual evil and the forces of righteousness and holiness. The second conflict is the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. The first conflict unfolds daily inside of God's universe. The second unfolds daily inside the hearts and minds of God's followers. And it's essential that Jesus' followers understand both conflicts. And here's why. If you don't understand the conflict between Satan and God, you won't correctly interpret human history. And if you don't understand the conflict between the flesh and the spirit, you won't correctly interact with God and his agenda in history. And that will have a negative impact upon your own personal history. Now, thankfully, God has revealed everything we need to know about both conflicts. Not everything we'd like to know everything we need to know. And the story that we will consider today, drawn from the life of Abram and Sarai, is an important part of that revelation. It has much to say about the struggle that will be our focus, that second struggle, the struggle between the flesh and the spirit inside believing hearts. The Holy Spirit revealed the relevance of chapter 16 and the flesh versus spirit battle to the Apostle Paul. Paul was attempting to show his countrymen in the region of Galatia that stepping into the grace of Messiah Jesus meant stepping out of the law of Moses. And they were struggling to grasp that, and I think he was having a hard time communicating that. And in that moment, God laid it upon his heart to reference the story we're going to look at today. His audience knew the story well, but they didn't know it well enough. 
They saw it as mere history. And the story of wavering faith that birthed enduring heartache. But they were about to learn that God also intended this historical account as something of an allegory, that it symbolized the battle between the flesh and the spirit that was unfolding in their hearts and in their minds. And so that's going to be our focus today. I'll begin by defining what Scripture means when it talks about walking in the flesh. And then I'll point out the mistakes we make and the bitter harvest we experience when we choose that path. Now to open, let me read Genesis 16, verses 1 through 5. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave you my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. I've entitled today's study, The Path of Disappointment. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these ensuing moments, as always, I will need the equipping of the Spirit for proclamation, and we will all need the equipping of the Spirit for understanding and application. Grant us both of those good gifts so that we might grow in grace and in our knowledge of you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. And as we listen for the voice of God's Spirit through His Word today, may the Lord be with you. Scripture makes this abundantly clear. We can't walk in the flesh and in the Spirit at the same time. One always excludes the other. And for good reason. The flesh always opposes God and the will of God, even when it appears to be cooperating. As a result, walking in the flesh will always bring about two disappointing results. Scripture tells us it will quench the working of God's Spirit, and it will grieve the heart of the Holy Spirit. It will hinder the Spirit's work in us and through us, And it will create a sense of relational tension that will discourage walking in faith. 
Now, the Bible doesn't precisely define the flesh and walking in the flesh, but it does describe its dynamics repeatedly. And based on those descriptions, I'd like to suggest a biblical definition. The flesh is human intellect, human will, and human emotion acting independently of God. As such, it is a misuse of things that are good in and of themselves because they are an essential part of God's image in us. God has intellect. God has will. God feels emotion. And as those created in his image, we need to have all three. But some, somewhat like the steering wheel, the accelerator, and the engine in an automobile, human intellect, will, and emotion were not designed to function on their own. They were designed to function under close supervision, specifically the supervision of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And absent that supervision, the results are disastrous. Now, things done in the flesh are readily detected when they are expressed in observable, overt evil, such as lying, theft, murder, hateful words, acts of violence, or sexual immorality. But the flesh can also be expressed in the way we pursue good things, things like God's will. And I stress that because effective resistance to the flesh requires awareness of that fact. The recognition that the flesh is equally comfortable in the prayer room as it is in the boardroom, the bedroom, or the enclaves of bigotry. Why? Because the flesh isn't first and foremost about evil intent. It's about control. The flesh is more than happy to do good things, things that Scripture commands just as long as it calls the shots, sets the agenda, and retains control. That's why I've often suggested the best way to resist doing evil in the flesh is to refuse to allow the flesh to do any good. And that point segues nicely into our story. Last week, Pastor Sheldon reminded us that in chapter 15, God promised Abraham that despite his advanced age, his descendants would spring from a son born from his own body. But chapter 16 opens with these words, quote, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, end quote. The promise hadn't yet been fulfilled, and that quickly proved to be problematic. For as Scripture demonstrates repeatedly, the flesh is impatient. It interprets God's delays as denials and then takes matters into its own hands. So it's little surprise that verse 2 states, quote, So meaning in light of the delay, 
So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And we read, And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now at that point, the stage was set for disaster. A godly goal and a godly promise was about to be pursued in ungodly fashion. But the stage was also set for us to learn some important lessons about walking in the flesh. So I want to unpack those 35 words that reveal how the flesh operates, beginning with this. Quote, Sarai said to Abram, Sarai, not God. And Abram listened. That reveals three things about the flesh. First, the flesh fills in the blanks rather than consulting God. You can tell when you're walking in the flesh, you'll find yourself filling in the blanks where God hasn't spoken, where you still haven't received God's explanation. God had told Abram his descendants would spring from his own body. And Sarai must have thought to herself, but God didn't say, my body. And she was correct. That word would come later. But Sarai's body was clearly implied. Because if God intended to use somebody else, why wouldn't he have told that to Abram from the get-go? And if she had merely asked God for direction, he would have given her an answer. The second thing we learn about the flesh is the flesh substitutes its wisdom for God's wisdom. In her impatience, Sarai put more confidence in her finite human thinking than in the revelation of an infinite God. Now, she wasn't the first to do so, and she certainly wouldn't be the last. Third, the fact that Abram listened to her and followed her instructions demonstrates that the flesh bases its decisions on inferior sources. Rather than following the perfect counsel of an all-knowing God, it often seeks and follows the inferior counsel of humanity, counsel that conveniently echoes its doubts, counsel that aligns with its impatience. Now, moving on, we read these words. Sarai said, now behold. Notice, now. The flesh bases its actions on what it can see in the moment rather than what God has said about the future. The flesh is addicted to the immediate, and as a result, it walks by sight rather than by faith. The flesh says, we can't keep waiting. We've got to take matters into our own hands and get the ball rolling. Sarah said, Sarai said, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now, sadly, she didn't detect 
the spiritual dissonance between those words, her words, and her suggested course of action. What do I mean? If God is truly Lord, Lord over all creation, Lord over the lives of his people, when it appears that he has prevented something, you can rest assured it's for good reasons. It isn't because he doesn't care. It isn't because he failed to anticipate potential problems. It isn't because he lacks the juice to back up his words. Sarah should have said, perhaps the timing isn't right. Perhaps everything isn't yet in place. Perhaps God is up to more than you and I recognize, Abram. But instead, she said, perhaps I will obtain children another way. Perhaps I will. That's a far cry from I'm sure the Lord will. You see, things that start with the word I usually end badly. You could say walking in the flesh is an indicator of I trouble because the flesh struggles to see the absolute sovereignty of God. It's God is too small. Now, Sarai's suggestion concerning her maid, Hagar, was appropriate and acceptable custom in Abram's day. But it wasn't God's plan. It wasn't acceptable to God. And her misguided scheme revealed that the flesh may trust God's promise, but doubt his process. And when it does, it exchanges its perhaps for God's promise. And that's always a bad exchange. You'll always come out on the short end of the stick when you exchange your perhaps for God's promise. Now, despite her perhaps, Sarai obviously believed that her plan was going to prove effective. Otherwise, why ask her aged husband to lie with her teenage maid? Her misplaced confidence testifies, and this is one of the most important points, the flesh embraces presumption. It assumes God will bless its plans. That's the essence of presumption before God, doing your own thing and presuming God will endorse it, accept it, use it, and bless it. That's a dangerous assumption. Did you know that the Old Testament records 11 examples of presumption? And in 10 of those incidents, the person who presumed upon God died. And this story is chock full of presumption on Sarai's part, on Abram's part, and later on Hagar's part. Scripture declares that the spirit brings life, but the flesh brings 
death. Sarai's plan birthed emotional trauma. It birthed domestic strife. But the greatest thing it birthed, great in negative terms, not positive terms, the greatest thing it birthed was a conflict between Jews and Arabs over the land of promise, a conflict that continues to this very moment. And when God says the flesh brings death, how many people have died? as the result of the conflict between Arabs and Jews over the land of promise. See, God says what he means. He means what he says. Well, the ensuing mess and the response of the key players in the drama would reveal some additional lessons about the flesh that time doesn't permit me to unpack. So let me list them very quickly. What happened after Abram followed Sarai's advice and after Hagar conceived shows us that the flesh blames God for its own mistakes. That's what Sarai did. It shows us that the flesh blames others for its own decisions. It shows us that the flesh returns evil for evil rather than good for evil. And the subsequent events show us that rather than calling God to fix its course of action, the flesh calls God to fix the consequences of its actions. Now, good news. Despite Sarai and Abram's folly, God's promise was ultimately fulfilled. God's good and perfect will was ultimately accomplished because he truly is Lord. But it wouldn't happen for another 17 years. The promise wouldn't be fulfilled until a time when conception was humanly impossible because God's plan all along was to give Sarai a son when it would be abundantly clear that it was his doing, not hers and not Abram's. I have said numerous times over recent years that our capacity to make a mess, thank God, doesn't exceed God's capacity to fix our mess. But that reality and the story that we're considering and the way that story ended shouldn't make us careless or worse, make us presumptive. Chapter 16 offers us a sobering reminder. While the flesh can't ultimately stop God's promise and provision, it will always complicate it. It will always muddy the waters. It will always birth distractions. It will always create problems that were avoidable and wholly unnecessary. Think how differently this story would have ended and how different things would be in Jerusalem and the surrounding Arab states 
If rather than saying to her husband, go into my maid, Sarai had said, honey, let's both of us go in to the Lord and ask why the delay. And think if she had done that and Abram would have listened. But instead, Sarai and Abram chose the path of walking in the flesh. And they soon discovered that they had chosen the path of profound, ongoing heartache and disappointment. And so today, much like Lot, who we considered a couple of weeks ago, Sarai serves more as a warning to God's people than as an example to be emulated. Before I close in prayer, I want to give you a brief homework assignment. I want you to take the primary points about the flesh that I've shared with you today, and I want you to use those as reference points to assess how you're responding to three things. First of all, the current pandemic and all of the unwelcome and unfortunate dynamics that are flowing out of it. Secondly, the current political polarization and tribalism within our nation. And third, the current unrest over matters of justice and ethnicity and bigotry and race. I want to encourage you to take those descriptions of what the flesh does and ask the Holy Spirit, am I engaging any of these three major challenges to myself, my family, my community, my nation, and my world, and the work of the kingdom? Am I engaging these things in the flesh? filling in the blanks, consulting human authorities rather than Scripture, consulting personalities rather than the Holy Spirit? Am I walking in the flesh or am I walking in the Spirit? If we walk in the flesh during these days of tremendous unrest and uncertainty and challenges, we'll take the current messes and multiply them many times over. But if we walk in the Spirit, we'll be able to navigate them, souls intact, ministry enhanced, and God glorified. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am thankful that your word not only gives us examples to emulate, but warnings to heed. I pray that we would heed the warning embedded in chapter 16 and the following chapters. By walking in the flesh, Sarai and Abram created a hot mess that literally continues to this moment. Thousands of years later, Lord, we'll never know the consequences of a bad decision until we make it. But if we will walk in your spirit, we will one day know the blessings of that decision. So in these troubling times, help us to shun the path of disappointment. 
Help us to walk in the Spirit who brings life. It's a challenge to do it, but you're up to the challenge because you really are Lord. And I pray these things for myself, for our church family, our community, our nation, and our world. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.